This is Evelyn, Subchapter 1, The Facility, by Jandon Hale. For more info, check out the Evelyn Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash Evelyn series. Music by Kevin McLeod at www.incompetech.com. Thank you for listening and stay well. She looks down at the place where her forearm should be. She knew about hunger and the lengths people will go to keep it at bay. Keep your eyes open, new one. This place will change you if you're not careful, Karis says, as she gets up grabbing both of their trays. They spend another half hour circling the track, enveloped in the serenity of a luscious pondscape. Anya opting to walk alone, which becomes easier after supplying a couple of them with a selection of bitter words. She gradually allows herself to linger enough to end up at the rear of the group. She falls behind just out of sight at a curve in the hallway as the rest gather to be let back into the dormitory to finish out the evening. She waits as they file inside, the Medici included, and carefully doubles back on the track to wander. Part of her hopes for the improbable, but her gut tells her it is fruitless to even try after the earlier attempt at the recreation room's door panel. She has no idea what she's even trying to do. She tries to risk Halo at every door she passes, with predictable results. She makes it almost all the way around the circle when she sees someone behind her. She wheels, comes face to face with the same three escorts from before. The one who had come to quell Karis' first little rebellion. He takes her by the elbow and pulls her back down the hallway. She struggles against his clamped fist, but he responds by increasing the dragging speed. He says nothing to her the whole way back to the dormitory entrance. When they arrive, he stops, but doesn't scan his wrist halo. He waits, letting her wonder what happens next. The guard releases his grip on her and tells her to scan her bracelet. Go ahead, scan it. Go on. Scan. Beeps. Access denied. Tell me, the guard says. What was you trying for? She can't think of anything to say. She just waits, hoping you'll see the lack of answers in her eyes, or that the door will open, or that maybe he'll see her hatred for this brand of soldier, that she can see through the facade of protection he cloaks himself in. He steps right up against her and she steps back. He continues until she's blocked by the wall. He presses his body right against hers, his chin nearly touching her forehead. He leans in and takes a sniff of her hair. She turns her face away, but he follows it with his. He places his eyes in the path of hers and forces her to see them, to see that there's nothing but emptiness behind them. She can smell onions on his breath. There's only two things I like doing. Killing and fucking. He runs the back of a gloved finger down the side of her face. I would enjoy you, tight little plicky. He reaches down and cups her groin and she twitches, closes her eyes. Who knows what order I'd do him. He lets her go and shakes his head. This fucking place. You're lucky I can't do neither. He steps back and points down at her wrist. Them things is smart. That sweet little ass of yours trotting off down this hallway don't go unseen. 
when the system reports only 65 bodies in the dormitory when there ought be 66 and it says that one bitch is still in the hallway we oblige ourselves to come out to help you find your way he looks down at her enjoying fucking with her then he nods and swipes his wrist halo so the door can open he grabs her by the elbow again and shoves her inside once again all eyes are on her and she's used to it by now he trades looks with the Medici for a fly's heartbeat and then exits just as fast. The door slides shut behind her and she stands there trembling. Their eyes are a combination of confusion and disappointment and distrust. She is disrupting their tranquil, constructed existence, like a sudden splash of cold water on a sleeping kitten. Yet simultaneously lie the red-hot coals of loitering inquiry, coals that just won't go out. Hot for questions unanswered. That fire will never go out until she gives them what they want. Some of them want to ostracize her. Some of them want to sheath her in a collective blanket of acceptance to win her over to their particular flavor of disposition. But they all, every last one of them, want to know her story. She shuffles through the crowd, right past them, past the Medici and her abundance of teeth and nose, passes right through the onlooking hollow sentry in a seizure of light and lays down on her assigned bed, resting her hand over the tiny bulge where the game piece, her only source of comfort, is. When the rest are done gawking, the room returns to a flurry of muffled susurration. Sirica ambles over and descends onto her adjacent bed. The excitement of finally being a guide sister for the first time in her life seems to be consumed by a blight of discouragement, yet she remains loyal to her sense of duty. First day, I have faith that you'll come to love your new home as the rest of us do. She strokes large circles across the surface of her belly. Anya stares at the ceiling, the slits of pale white light. She takes a deep breath. Is there some place I can be alone? Here? Not really. Perhaps in the washroom. You've a few hours before sleep time. Anya closes her eyes and disappears into the softness of the white linens of the bed for a moment. When she opens her eyes, Sirica is looking at her disfigured arm. Sirica quickly looks away and Anya's gaze reverts back to the ceiling. You really want to know what happened. What? It's been eating you all day. It's been eating everyone all day. I don't know what you mean. Yes, you do. My arm. Sirica struggles to find something to look at. It's no matter, I understand. Anya sits up and plants her legs on the floor, rests her arm on her knee. I was sold by my father for a handful of royal silver to a man who took me to a bordello. Down on the docks. You learn the hard way what is expected of you there. There were lots of other girls brought in. Some stayed, some were shipped off to other places. Some disappeared, some were killed. The ones who tried to escape. Two years. I think that's how long it was. Anyone who could pay. Fishers, sailors, soldiers. Whatever they wanted. You couldn't refuse. Some people took it for free if they thought the watchers weren't around. Then there was the bordello itself. Crowded, sometimes fifteen to a room, side by side, working. Men didn't care. 
For months I did this in chains. All the new girls start there. After a while they unchain you. Then you get to work the streets. They do not pay you. You eat less than the common street ravager. This, plus they can beat you, will beat you, spit on you. They do what all they like. I could tell you things for weeks and the end of that story would not be seen. A prisoner against my will. I was working the docks, taking men behind the crate stacks and piles of netting anywhere. Some, some of them didn't care. Plain daylight, no matter. And one day I was with two men who didn't pay. They just took it. Nothing new. Happens all the time. You have to tell a controller, the watcher, who makes them pay. Kills them if they don't. But they took me after. They took me to a slaughterhouse. Do you know what that is? Sirica nodded, covering her mouth with her hand. So many people. I can hear them in my head. Moaning, screaming. It never ends. And the darkness. Cast into the darkness with just the noise and shuffling and cries. At least with the bordello, we... We ate what we could find or steal. Here... Nothing. You'd never escape the sounds in the darkness. Waiting, waiting, waiting for them to come for you. You couldn't see anything. And the smell. And she gags, coughs, thinking... You've never smelt anything so terrible. I know what despair smells like. It's that. Sometimes you could hear people scrambling around if someone thought they discovered a rat, trying to find it in the dark. I never found one, but sometimes, sometimes they got one. I could still hear them tearing the rats apart. They ate them fur and all. Anya closes her eyes again and rubs a hidden game piece to distract herself from the memory. But she isn't done. I was only there for a few days when they came for me. The brightness burns your eyes even when they're shut. From being in the black so long. They dragged me. Out of. That room. Anya's chest starts heaving. They drag me across the stone floor and I'm screaming at them, begging them, please, please, no. And then I'm floating and I scream again, but they're just lifting me up onto a table. Straps. I... I try to fight, but I'm too weak, hungry. I can't see them because of the brightness. She's crying now, silently. Just tears burning trails across her cheeks. She sniffs hard and looks at Serica. They strapped me down and all I could see was the light, but I felt everything. They sawed off my arm. I screamed until my throat gave out. I starved and hoped for rats and lost my arm so they could eat and live for one more day. Now the tears pour freely. With her head bowed, they fall straight into her lap. Sirica gets up and sits beside her and puts her arm around her. I'm sorry. You're here. You're safe now. She pulls Anya closer and lets her cry. The soldiers brought you here. You're safe. They saved you. Anya wipes her eyes hard with her sleeve and lifts her head. No. They didn't. 
Don't you know? Kings and queens don't care. The law doesn't care. They don't help anybody but themselves. That's why this world is dying. Sirica tries to hold her hand, but Anya pulls it away. I was saved by a group of men who saw fit to fight for those who can't fight for themselves. I don't know what they were called. They all had metal emblems. A skull and a wreath. They're the ones. So these great men saved you. And to protect you, they gave you to the soldiers to be brought here. No! No! Don't you see? The soldiers you all love so much are no different than the Bordello men. Well, the Slaughterhouse men. You follow many false heroes. You've forsaken your freedom for the illusion of safety. You are right. This place changes you. It made you into its slaves. Something is not right here. If my liberators knew about this place, they would rescue us. You don't know, Serica says. You don't know how it truly is here. You have to see for yourself. I should say the same to you. The men who rescued me brought me to a clinic for my arm. Having done their duty, they left me in the care of the dacters there. The dacters wanted to give me blood, so they did a blood test and found out that I was a carrier. And it wasn't long before the gray soldiers came. They at the clinic never even fixed my arm. They search hard to find us so we don't fall into the wrong hands. Anya clenches her fist. If they cared so much, why didn't they wait for the clinic to fix me? They care about nothing but money. We are nothing but investments. But you don't know. You don't know. I do know. My journey here was not comfortable. They made no effort to tend to my well-being. By then I was hot with fever. They interrogated me to find out who the father was, but when I told them I didn't know, when I told them about the bordello, they... They figured they could do whatever they wanted to me. Once a whore, always a whore, they said. I was put on a ship and brought all the way to Dretch, then in a cage wagon to wherever we are now. What? Did you report them? You should inform the Dacter. He's in charge here. Who do you think pays them to find us? Him or whoever he works for. And why? You're so blinded by the fantasy they've created, you can't see the ruse. She stands, smoothing out her top with her palm. I need to be alone. She leaves Sirica there on the bed. Makes her way to the washroom on the more sparsely populated side of the dormitory. There's already another woman in there, examining her nasal cavity, so Anya waits for her to clear out. She does her best to wash her hand in the sink and then bends down to take a sip from the tap. A stranger peers back at her in the mirror, a grotesque version of what once was. She hasn't seen herself in a mirror in years. Her, asymmetrical and thread-thin. She touches her face with her fingertips, her lips and concave cheeks. Then she lifts the nub and slowly waves it back and forth. More tears, deserters, betrayers of strength. She closes her eyes and slides down onto the floor. She looks around the washroom, still marveling at many of the facility's advanced features. The closest thing to this she had seen had been the clinic. It was the only building she'd ever seen with the old-style power source, and even there it had been in limited supply. The affluent districts had access to power, but even they didn't have it full-time. 
This place was impossibly luxurious. Whoever paid the bills had to be beyond wealthy. Only a king could afford such a place. But for what? What was there to gain? She pulls out the game piece and examines every angle and crevice, every divot and spur and scratch. Years of scars. The masterpiece of red glass. Every scratch and ding pays tribute to its experience, yet it feels smooth in her hand. It is large enough that she can't completely hide it in her hand, both head and base peeking out on either side of her closed fist. From bordello to slaughterhouse to liberation to clinic to ship to transport wagon to here. This, of all of them, the most infeasible to escape from. Before, there was never any possibility of escape, only because failure meant death. They would not kill her here, but she was nevertheless a prisoner. Nothing had changed. This facility will change you. That's what they'd said, but nothing had changed. They would do everything in their power to change her, to mold her into a conforming, accepting, docile subject. Her fear was that they would eventually succeed. The sense of dejection she felt at being physically trapped inside this building was nothing compared to the doom of the realization that she would eventually succumb to their indoctrinations. To lose your freedom still left room for hope, but to lose yourself, your mind, that is the worst of all possible outcomes. A conquered mind is a place where hope cannot enter. The washroom. Still empty save her and the game piece. The room is silent. She hears her heart beating. Every blink lasts a lifetime. She looks down at the game piece. It calms her. She thinks it might represent a king. She presses her lips to it and whispers, You helped me before. Gave me comfort when I had none. Help me now. She kisses it once more and slams it hard onto the tile floor. The red of the pieces is instantly reinforced by the blood where her hand sliced open. She combs through the shards and picks one that looks sharpest. More blood joins in as she squeezes the shard hard and firm. She only has one hand, one chance to do this. Her hand shakes as she brings it up to face level, her lips quivering and mashed together. You're right. This place does change you. I now know what it takes to be free. She digs a deep gash across her throat until wet warmth crashes down onto her hand like spilled paint. She closes her eyes and embraces the dark, the black she had been so afraid of before. Only this time she can hear no mourning, no suffering. She disappears in its vastness, no longer a prisoner, no longer controlled, no longer suffering. By the time her 3A17 bracelet transmits her plummeting blood pressure to the medical staff, it is already too late. So it was that a suspected king had taken her freedom. So it was that a suspected king had freed her. This is Everwind, Subchapter 1, The Facility. For more info, check out the Everyone Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash Everyone Series.